we're continuing in our series in Acts called Gospel Fire. And this series is following the story of the birth and explosion of the early church. The book of Acts, as I've said a number of times, will restore your soul. It is a book that is full of faith. It is a book that talks of the greatness of the Holy Spirit and what a wonderful person the Holy Spirit is. And today I'm focusing in on chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. But a bit of background to the passage, just in case you haven't been here as part of this series. Um, But in Acts 3 that we looked at last week, Peter and John have prayed for this man who can't walk for 30 years And he has been completely healed. He hasn't just kind of got up and stood up. He has jumped to his feet and he started praising God. You can imagine when when you see this incredible miracle that this guy is absolutely on fire. He wants to tell everybody that's ever known about how incredible God is. And so the whole community would have been speaking about it. Everybody would have known what was going on because there's an undeniable miracle right in front of their eyes. And as a result, Peter and John start preaching, saying, come to Jesus that he might forgive your sins. And this causes this huge stir in this community. And the religious leaders have just got no idea what to do. They just know that they need to shut Peter and John up. They're like, we need to do something. They are causing havoc. And so what they do is they throw them into jail. But this doesn't stop the momentum because the fire is spreading. We called this series Gospel Fire because it's really this picture of the gospel being spread from person to person to person to person. And it's like a fire that starts with this small match and suddenly ignites. And it says this, chapter 4, verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, that's just the men. So 5,000 men, we're probably talking 10,000 people by this point have believed. The fire is growing. The message is spreading. And they just can't shut Peter and John up. And they're telling everybody who's got a pulse that they need to get right with God. Now, when they're released from jail, they go back to their people and they start praying. And their prayer, I think, is just such an amazing starting point because you can imagine they're at a time when everybody's coming against them. They've just been thrown into jail. This is a bad moment. But instead, I think many of us, if we put ourselves in that situation, would go, do you know what, I just need some safety. Lord, save me. Keep me safe. Watch over me. But what I love is that their prayer isn't for safety, it's for boldness. And we see this in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're going the other way. They're going on the attack. They're like, come on. Let everybody know. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're saying, we want to see more. This is amazing, but stretch out your hand. Impact this community. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That's a proper prayer meeting, isn't it? Love a good prayer meeting. I haven't quite been in a prayer meeting yet where the room's been shaken, but there's still time. Do not worry. So they're they're shaken, the room's shaken. And then it goes on and it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
When the Holy Spirit comes, it also brings the courage of the Lord. They spoke with boldness. There was this fire going on in their hearts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is radical stuff. Sometimes, if you've read this passage a number of times, you'll be like, I kind of read it before. But when you stop and thinking about it, this is an amazing community. This is, a, this is such a powerful picture of community because the passage tells us that the early church and that the early Christians were extremely visibly different from everybody else in their attitude towards their money. They looked different. It says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. So this is telling us that one of the main ways in which the world understood Christians was different was in the way that they thought about money. It was their economic mindset was completely different. The way that they dealt with their possessions and their money was different to the society around them. So in the midst of this passage, and also in Acts 2, because as you're reading this passage in Acts 4, you might think, do you know what, I feel like I've heard this before. And it's really, really similar to Acts 2. In fact, wherever the life of the early church is described, we see the Christians' phenomenal generosity. It set them apart. They look different. You see it in verses 31 to 33 in this passage. Verse 31, we're told they're filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 32, it immediately says, as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they no longer considered anything they had their own, and they shared everything. Now, I think you could stop on that point for a while because it's so challenging. You could just sit there, and we could just sit here for half an hour, and we could mull that for a bit. Might be a bit bored, but some of you would be like, yeah, that's really good. But why is it so important? Because it stands so at odds with our society and even the way that the church thinks. It's at odds with our culture. We can try and explain it away. So we can we could say, do you know what? It's completely unrealistic, isn't it? It was 2,000 years ago. I mean, it doesn't happen like that anymore. Culture's moved on, times are different, money makes the world go round. So we can try and explain it away, or we can be deeply impacted by it. And I think sometimes we've got to stop and think, in what ways has our society conditioned our, our minds to think about our money? And what I mean by that is every day, you are being conditioned to think about money in the way that society wants you to think about money. Every time you open your Facebook, every time another advert comes on, every time you turn on the television, you are being impacted about the way that you think about money. It's being formed, this idea of it's mine, again and again. But I know from my own life that generosity preaches to people. People still notice generosity. We had a comment on our Facebook page last week from a storehouse client, and it just says this, I just want to say a massive thank you to Jess and Emily who volunteer for the storehouse. They came round to mine and we went through the gorgeous furniture your church has given me. They were so kind, non-judgmental, you could see, feel 
they were Christians. Interesting phrase. They even brought me a lovely plant. I just wanted your church to know how grateful my family are and what lovely people attend your church. Storehouse, for those of you who don't know, is just we give away free furniture to people in need, furniture, fridges. But there's a number of things in there that are fascinating to me. You could see and feel that they were Christians. That's really interesting. Generosity speaks. Our actions as a church spoke of God's generosity. That's what's so beautiful about it. And you can see the same cycle in in chapter 2. If you go to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, you'll see it says the same thing, verses 44 to 7. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Then in verse 46, it says, they broke together, they broke, sorry, bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then in verse 47, it says, and they enjoyed the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number, number daily those who were being saved. Radical, outrageous generosity with their money led to a deep togetherness. When you start sharing your stuff with people, it leads to, it changes something in you. There's this deep togetherness that you're like, do you know what, it's not just me and the world, it's, just, it's not just me and my nuclear family against the world. It changes something, it breaks something in the spirit and you start going, oh wow, that's what it is, that's what it is to share. I, do you know what, I was, I was thinking about this there was a guy, this is a bit of a throwaway, but there was a guy who came up after I'd spoken this morning and he was just saying, do you know what, my car's broken down. And um, do you know anybody in the church who, who might have a car going? And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I'll tell you why it's amazing, because in my last church, I was given two cars, two different free cars by people in the community. Um, you know, I didn't have very much money at the time and needed, needed a car and all of, the, uh, all of those kind of things. Didn't even speak to anybody about it. It was just like, Lord, I'm skint and I, I could really do with a car. I got given two cars. That's amazing. And I think we could just say, oh, you know, yeah, of course. But no, that's what begins to happen. When people begin to share things, they sit there and they go, do you know what, I've got this. I've got the overflow of this. Is there somebody that might want this? Is there, is, could this bless somebody? It changes our mindset because rather than going, oh, do you know what, I could probably go and sell it for 800 pounds. I could go and sell that car. Or I could sit there before the Lord and be like, Lord, is there anybody that could be blessed by this? It's a bit of a problem with eBay culture. Is the problem with eBay culture is we think that we should get money for everything that's no longer useful. So we're like, I'll sell it. That's a real shame because it stops generosity. Do you know what, there is a time and a place for eBay. I'm not saying it's wrong per se. But I'm just saying if it stops generosity... It's like, do you know what? I had a pram that I could have given somebody, but instead I sold it. It's amazing when it breaks something down in our hearts when we see generosity, when we receive generosity firstly, but also when we're able to give it as well. In 247, they had favor with all of the people. The Lord gave them favor because of their generosity, because anybody on the outside realized society is going to going to work a lot better if you have a lot of people with this attitude. But where did it come from? Because the outside world couldn't understand it. And that's why they listened. Whenever the preachers of the community preached the message of Jesus Christ, people listened because they said, how can we account for the radically different way in which these people regard their money? They're so different. One of the early Roman emperors, Julian, the problem is whenever I say that, I think of King Julian in Madagascar, but... Don't get distracted by King Julian. But 
Julian, who tried to hold back the spread of Christianity and revive the pagan religion, and he couldn't do it. And in his disgust, he was so annoyed about it that he wrote to one of his friends to talk about why the Christians were succeeding and why they were spreading this idea of fire, that the, the gospel message was spreading. And he was so disgusted. He says in a letter that has come down to us, their success lies in their charity to all. They take care of not only their own poor, but ours as well. That's amazing. Again, generosity speaks. When people see the fact that you are, you are for more than yourself, they see something of the nature of God in you at that moment. They're like, wow, that's amazing. I can't describe that. They look after people. Their hearts were detached from the things of this world, from possessing and owning and controlling all of those things which we're being fed every day, possess, own, control. Instead, it says, give, be generous, be a steward, not an owner. It's different. It's the other end of the spectrum. And the question that comes up, of course, is why were these Christians so different? The answer is because they had deeply experienced God's grace. It says in verse 33, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's grace revolutionizes our attitude towards money. At the heart of kingdom generosity is God's grace. It's God's grace. Grace is the key that unlocks our hearts. And it really does unlock something within us because up until that point, it's almost like I was given this image once that so often we think about money like this and it's almost like we're holding on to it. And that's kind of a picture of so often of the human heart. It's like, it's mine, I'm gonna keep hold of it. Suddenly what kingdom generosity, when the God's grace falls on us, what happens is we do that. It's a different, it's a posture of the heart. We become open, and we become open-handed because it's not ours. I'm not trying to hold on to it. I'm standing there before the Lord, and it's like, Lord, what would you have me do with it? And then what happens is when we begin to live with that posture of our hearts, we begin to pray, and we begin to say, Lord, how can you use this? Use this for your glory. It changes us. If you've experienced the grace of God, it gives you a completely new attitude towards money. A even bigger than that, it's more than just an attitude, it's a different relationship towards money. We're, we're told in verse 32, no one claimed any of his possessions was his own. Do you know what? Our relationship to money is really complicated. Money is the number one rival to God for the human heart. Number one, definitely. Again and again, I see it in people's lives, that they are utterly bound by money. Because unless we understand God's grace, we think like owners rather than stewards. Many Christians think like this. This is a picture. It's mine. I work hard for it, and I don't have nearly enough of it. I don't have nearly enough of it. I really deserve to have a lot more. Isn't that crazy? But probably... I don't know, 80, 90% of us in the room would feel like that. How am I going to get more of it? I see other people who don't work nearly as hard as I do, and they seem to have more of it. How can I get more? But when we experience God's grace, it changes this. You look at your money and you say, it's not mine anyway. I don't look at it as mine. I don't feel that it's mine. I don't see it as mine. It's an open-handedness. If you haven't had an experience of grace, in other words, when somebody comes to you and, and they ask for money, you are annoyed. That's what will happen. If you haven't experienced God's grace, somebody comes and they're like, can I have this? And you're like, you're just annoyed, you're irritable, you're touchy about people asking for money. You don't like it. 
If, on the other hand, you've had a real experience of God's grace as a Christian, when people ask you for money, you might feel sad because you can't give anything to them. It might be like, you know, I just, I'm really sorry, but I have nothing. There's nothing that I can do to help you. But there's a sadness in you because you're like, I only have a, a limited amount, but you're not upset. You're not touchy. Can, can I just show you why? Because the Bible says if you've experienced God's grace, you too will have a revolutionary different way of regarding and looking at your money. You know how we like to talk in, in many companies about mo- money being the bottom line? Um, why is it the bottom line? Because it's the thing that really, really tells you how you're doing. That's what the bottom line is. So in some companies, you might say, well, do you know what? The company's a mess, yes. People are at each other's throats and they've fallen out, yes. We wasted this, we blew that. But what's the bottom line? Have we made more money? Now, the bottom line tells whether or not you're making progress. And it tells you how you're really doing. But believe it or not, even the Bible says money is the bottom line in your life. You can talk about how much you love God. You can talk about how much the grace of God means to you. You can talk about how much you love your brothers and sisters in Jesus. But the bottom line, the thing that's unmistakable, the thing that's down there right at the bottom that tells you where your heart is and what you really, really believe when you're really pushed on it is where you spend your money and what your attitude towards money is. That's what it tells you. If you want to know where somebody's heart is, look at what they spend their money on. Look at their bank statement. It will tell you what you really think. Now, in my experience, people that are generous are intentional with their money. They pray about it. They seek God about how they can best use it. Now, Jen, my wife, is not here this evening. She, unfortunately, got the short straw putting the kids to bed. Lucky me. Um, But she became a Christian in her first year at university. And in her second term of being at university, she, she heard a talk about kingdom generosity. And she started giving regularly a tenth of her student loan. Now, I'd always been a Christian. And I'd, lo- I'd like the idea of being generous in the kingdom. But I just never got around to it. Till my third year. And we had a building project at our church. And Jen gave. I never quite got around to it. And she decided, you know, when she was thinking about what can I give. She was like, well, do you know what? I could go without a pint a week. And so, you know, that's something that I could probably sacrifice. And so she gave £10 a month extra on on top of what she already gave. Now, the other factor that you need to take into account was that I had loads more money than Jen as a student. I was so much richer than her. She only had a student loan. I had an allowance. I I had a lot of money. (laughs) I wasted a lot of money, actually, maybe is a better way of putting it. I wasted my money, and she invested her money. Jen has taught me an incredible amount about intentional generosity. When I say, let's give to something, she says, brilliant, where's that going to come from? And I go, what do you mean? And then she goes, well, what are you going to sacrifice? And I'm like, nothing. I'm just going to give. We just, let's just give. It's going to come from the amazing magical pot in the sky. (laughs) So funny, if you were a fly on the wall in some of our financial conversations, very amusing. I even chuckle just as I'm standing here. But as the years have gone on, we have been blessed. You know, me me and Jen have been been blessed and we've been entrusted with more financially. And I've come to realize that generosity 
is intentional as well as spontaneous. Ever since students, we've given what we believe to be the first fruits of what Jesus gives us to the church. We've given 10% of our income before tax. To start with, do you know what? That wasn't very much at all because we didn't have very much. But that grows as time has gone on. And we give the tithe and then we give to various charities on top. And we recently gave to, the, to him who's able, you know, which, which was something that the church did. And I, and I tell you this, not in any way to blow our own trumpets, but to help you see that this has been a journey for us. That this isn't just something we talk about, but it is something that we live out. That each year, I believe the Lord calls us, me and Jen, into greater generosity. He has given us more and more and more and more. And it's like, how am I going to live? Am I going to live as an owner or am I going to live as a steward? As we give away, the grip that materialism has on our hearts is broken and we begin to experience free freedom. Luther used to get up every day and say this, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm adopted into the family of God. I have an imperishable inheritance. I'm going to shine like the stars in the kingdom of my Father. Even now, his holy power and joy has come into my life through the Holy Spirit and has begun to grow, and it will eventually swallow up all of my foolishness and all of my sadness and all of my weakness. I am rich. Now, when you say that, you immediately look at your material possessions and say, this is a small thing compared to what I have and I will never lose. Sometimes we just have to think with the perspective of heaven rather than just about now. We get so stuck in the now. This is all grace. It's all grace. I was stuck in the slimy pit and Jesus came and rescued me. He took my sin and my shame and he nailed it to the cross. He took my filthy rags and he replaces them with beautiful garments. The old has gone, the new has come. You could use analogy after analogy throughout the scriptures where it talks about I was like this, but Jesus came and rescued me. This means that when we look at the world, we look with a new perspective. We look with new glasses, with glasses of grace. Yet not my will but yours be done. Yet not my will. And these glasses change everything because it melts away our possessiveness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 8, when he's asking the Corinthian Christians to give to hunger relief, he says, I'm not commanding you to give. So there's this terrible situation going on and they're raising money for some Christians elsewhere who are going through you know, an incredibly different time. And he says, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm just looking for the sincerity of your love. That's powerful. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying there is never any need to lay a guilt on a person who's experienced the grace of Jesus to get them to be generous. I don't have to command you. I'm just looking. You know the grace, it's there. The community in Acts 4, and this is really interesting, because you look at that community and you think, did they have to share? No, they didn't. They didn't have to share. It wasn't kind of this, you've, in order to be in this club, you have to share, because we see that in Acts 5 as we go on a look at Ananias and Sapphira. And actually, what happens was, sorry, that's a massive tangent. Let's not go there. But um, <laughs> great story, but often we think, I oh, know, don't go there. In, in Matthew's gospel, let's go there, we have the story of the rich young ruler. And he, and he comes to Jesus and he says, good master, I've obeyed all the commandments all of my life. No adultery, no lying, no stealing, no defrauding. I've honored my parents. Is there anything else, though, 
because I have to do to make sure that I have eternal life. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I've been a good person. Is there anything that I've left out? And Jesus says, yes, one thing. He says, sell everything you have, give it away, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. What he said there will make no sense to you unless you understand the principle of this text, the principle that I'm trying to get across now. You might say, he's trying to say you have to sell all of your goods in order to be saved. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying to the rich young ruler, whom he loved, remember what the text says. He says, he looked at the man and confronted him because he loved him. That's, That's what Jesus says. I love you, and this is why I'm telling you this, because of my deep love for you. He says, you have a lot of money, and yet you have nothing. It's all going to burn up. If you could only see that if you have me, you have everything. Jesus is saying, if you understood that I am eternal life, your attitude towards your money would be so incredibly different. And probably that's what would have happened to the rich young ruler. If he'd understood that in Jesus he had everything, he would have said, sure, if you want me to give it away, whatever. And Jesus would have said, well, no, you you don't probably need to now. Don't you see, coming back to this idea of the bottom line, what's the bottom line? You will always give money effortlessly to that which is your God. You will always give your money effortlessly to that which is your God. If you see that your salvation is in Jesus, then your attitude towards your money is, I want to give it away in radical and drastic proportions. I want to change people's lives through it. It is not mine. I am a steward. He has entrusted me. It's like the parable of the talents. It's like the Lord has given me this to steward. The more money that you've been given here this evening, the more he's entrusted you with. And he said, what are you going to do with what I've entrusted with you? Are you going to use it for yourself or are you going to give it to change people's lives? Whatever that looks like, that's such a broad thing that I'm saying, but it really can change people's situations. It can open their eyes to God because of your, your incredible generosity. That suddenly, so as you're incredibly generous with somebody, suddenly they see the fingerprints of God. And they're like, oh my goodness, why would you do that? I do that because God's spoken to me about it, and it's not mine, and I'm happy for you to have it. I mean, when that happens, that speaks, that preaches to people. On the other hand, if, if your salvation is in what you're wearing, your looks, your romance, your own status, if your salvation is in security in life, and you know what, that's the number one thing that the, the church is fighting against. It's just what, I want to lock it all in. I want, I want us just to be so secure then you're going to hold on to that money and it's going to go effortlessly to those things which are your real God. That's why when you look at your money, you can tell where your heart is. Your money's a bottom line. It tells you where your salvation is. It tells you where your real religion is. If the idea of giving away great proportions of money to the church or to the poor just appalls you, it shows that your heart is someplace else. Grace revolutionizes your very relationship with and attitude towards money. And if we let God's grace permeate our hearts, if we let it sink in, if we let it soften our souls, we will experience freedom from the grip of materialism because it is so incredibly strong. Now, many of you here are kind of early on in your journey with money. Do you know what I mean? It's like you you might be, you're like, I haven't got much. Do you know what I mean? This is all very lovely if I was 50 and I had loads of money. But I'm skint. Do you know what? That's a lie, firstly you've probably got more money than you think that you have. If I was to bring in a whole load of people from a different place and they would look at you and they go, you are absolutely minted. 
They would. They'd be like, look at the amount of available money that you have, and you think that you're poor. You have a poverty mindset. You are so rich. Do you realize that every day you're making decisions about how you use your money? And the thing that I'd love to say to you, if you're early on in this journey of using your money, is that the principles that you put in now will walk with you for the rest of your life. You don't suddenly start getting generous when you have money if you have nothing. If you don't have very much and you're generous with that, you will be generous when you have much. I absolutely see that all the time. I see people going, do you know what, I'll sort this out later on in life. It doesn't happen. Because when we get more, we're just like, it's even more mine. Whereas when we're open-handed, when we don't have, you know, it's like the widow's might, isn't it? She gave everything that she had. It's an attitude of the heart. It's not really about the amount of money. It's about the attitude behind it of, it's the Lord's. It's his. What are we going to do with it? So my encouragement is, get this sorted when you've got 10 pounds. Because when you've got 100,000, then you're in a different place. As a church, one of our values is outrageous generosity. And do you know what? I could have just gone for the value of generosity. But it wouldn't have been enough. It's like, oh, we want to be generous. Do you know what? I look at this picture of the early church, and I look at it and I think, do you know what? They were outrageously generous. They were outrageously generous with one another. They were outrageously generous with people outside of their community with the poor, that they gave away in massive proportions, that they looked after people. Outrageously generous. And do you know what? Do I think that we're there as a community? No, <laughs> I don't. I think that we're getting more generous. I think, you know, I see this picture and I'm like, wow, I love the picture of that community, of this sharing that's going on. I do know many incredibly generous people in this community and I'm so thankful to the Lord for them. Many of you gave sacrificially to the Him Who's Able. We did about 11 months ago, we did this campaign where we were raising some money for the congregations that we were launching into and, and the things that we were going to do. And we're sending out an update in the next couple of weeks with how your money's been used. And I just want to say a massive thank you to you for your generosity that you sowed something, that you sowed something into the kingdom. I do not take that for granted. And so what I'm saying is that we're pressing into something. I think that we're growing in this. But I think there are two main outworkings just to finish on this evening. Generosity in our lives and generosity with this bride, the church. Would people, my prayer is this, would people see your generosity in the workplace and in the neighborhoods and in your student halls with the way that you share your possessions? Would they be blown away by the way that you share? Would they see it in you with your open-handedness? You're like, do you know what? I'm not asking for something. Yeah, do you know what? You use it. Bring it back, but use it. With the way that you're hospitable, with the way that you invite your neighbors round, with the way that you have people into your living space because it's not yours, it's his. Do you know that, that if you have a student room or you know, if you have a, a massive house, it's his. It's his to be used for his glory. And therefore, you need to think about, how am I going to open up that space? How can I use that for the things of him? Invite people into it. Be generous with your food. Be generous with your lives. Be more generous with other people than you are with yourself. That people would see something different, that they would see the heartbeat of God in you. Secondly, my encouragement, be generous with his bride. Do you know what? This is quite a big church. Probably 40% of people in our community give regularly to the church. That's not bad. 
But imagine what that would look like if that shifted. If everybody kind of got, up, got before the Lord and they were like, Lord, what are you asking of me? Their generosity enables us to meet here in this wonderful building to have refreshment. The 40%, their generosity enables us to meet here in this wonderful building to have refreshments every week. It enables us to host newcomers' lunches, to run our children's ministries. Do you know that eight children gave their lives to the Lord this morning? I think we should have... That's something you might not see. But we have an incredible children's ministry that we've probably seen about 25 kids give their lives to the Lord this year. They are... My daughter gave her life to the Lord today. That is not something I take for granted. That is something I am so thankful for, for the people that invest in my children. I'm up here preaching. I'm up here in this service, but they're giving their lives away. Do you know what? 97% of them are volunteers, and they're investing in my children's future, that they're teaching them to love Jesus. Yeah, I still have a responsibility for that, but I'm so grateful that they give their lives away to do that. Don't take it for granted. Generosity, yes, I'm focusing on money, but it's also about what we do with our time. They are investing in my children. Thank you, Jesus, for them. To run our storehouse project, that story that I shared earlier was about a project that enables people who who are destitute have nothing to experience something of God's generosity. We just give it away to people in order that they would have dignity, At the heart of it is dignity. Do you know what? We don't want to give you our cast-offs and our rubbish. We want to give you the best, that you would know that we love you, that we value you, that we realize that life right now has dealt you a really rubbish hand. I'm sure they didn't plan to get there. I'm sure circumstances have come in their situations. Many of them are refugees. Many of them are fleeing from domestic violence. Whatever their situation is, that they've come to the bottom of the pile. And do we look at them and go, oh, do you know what, how did they get there? No, we don't. For so many of it, it's not their fault. We could be on the other side of that. That could be us. And what would we hope that other people would be? We would hope that they would be generous for us. And we get an opportunity to be generous for people, to give away the life of God. We have so many other things. We have Grow Baby. We've just started a new amazing project down in our venue. I have the privilege of seeing it every Thursday morning when mums and dads again come in and we basically give them everything that they want in terms of baby stuff because they have nothing. Can you imagine having a baby and having nothing to clothe your child with? that you're sitting there and you're like, I can't even afford to put clothes on my child. And they walk in and, we, and it's like, you can have whatever you want. We put it up on rails and we put these special dresses up, do you know what I mean? So that they can look for their children and, and have something amazing rather than something rubbish, rather than something that's dirty and a cast off. It's like, no, have the best. That's what Jesus teaches us, doesn't he? When you know, we see that picture of the banquet and the feast, he says, I want you to have the best. Alpha, people coming to know the Lord, where we provide environments where it's like, come and meet Jesus. We're going to feed you. We're going to provide an environment because we hope that you know the Lord. Open door, which Pete runs, who's down here on the front row, where we just say, we do church for people who are vulnerably housed. It's It's their church and homeless, and it's their community where they get to meet Jesus, and we feed, they have bacon butties, and it's brilliant. Youth. We've been given many youth. Thank you most of the time for that. No. (laughs) 
thank you for every, no, genuinely, thank you for every single young person in our church. You're amazing. To pay for our midweek venue, to give overseas to some of the amazing work that's going on there, to do blessing the communities, to be generous to the city, to launch new congregations. Why do we care about new congregations? Because this, surely this can't be it. I don't look at this and go, well, oh, this, this is the fulfillment of my dream. I'm like, I long for communities across this city, gatherings, smaller gatherings where people can come and meet Jesus. Do you know what? It takes our generosity to put those things on. It does. It takes us to go, you know, pay it forward for the, for the people yet to come, for those yet to come. I love that phrase because it's this expectation that there are people not yet with us who are going to one day be a part of us and that some of us go before in that generosity and we say, do you know what? I'm going to pay for you that you can have refreshments, that you can go on Alpha, that you can have a new believers pack, that you can have a Bible, that you can come to a nice, heated, warm venue. All of those things because it's radically, it's outrageous. And I'm going to bang the mic. Generosity. If you're here for the first time today, I don't normally rant this much. I want you to know I do not speak about money every week. Because you might be walking in and it's like, wow, he really cares about money. I haven't spoken on money for 11 months since we did the giving stuff. 11 months ago, I spoke on it. But you know what? This is a massive issue of discipleship. So I cannot apologize for it because I believe that it grips the human heart. As a pastor, it is my hope and desire to speak the truth of God into situations, whether it's uncomfortable or not. Do you know what? Do you think that I got up this morning, I was like, you know what? I love to speak about money. Hallelujah, I get to preach about money. I was like, oh, I've got to preach about money. And I, but why is it difficult? Because it's so personal. Money is so personal that some of you will have come in, and I'm talking about generosity, and you're like, I can't even pay my own bills. I'm in a debt crisis. Do you know what? If that's you, firstly, you're so welcome. And secondly, we'd love to pray for you because we think God can shift things. And I hope that this community can be a help to you as well, is that you see something. So, do you know what? I put the forms on the chairs, and this is in no way to cajole you. Do you know what I mean? It's not, I'm not here to manipulate you into giving. I, I don't want to do that. There's not, nothing could be further from the truth. But for some of you, you're just in that place where you're like, do you know what? I want to start that journey of giving. I want to go on that journey. For others of you, do you know what? You've been giving for a while, and it's right that you change that. It's like the Lord has blessed you, and you, and you want to up that. And great, go for it. Just hand it in downstairs at the end. But God, at the heart of all of this is God's grace, is that God has been so wonderfully abundant with us. Let us be open-handed with everything that he gives us in this life. Why don't we stand, and I'm going to pray.